0: to another episode of the Fertility Podcast and I'm really chuffed to have finally pinned down Tom Webb who well he's got many hats and he is involved in a production that you might have seen on Twitter called The Easy Bit. Tom's the director of it. We're going to talk about that um, but first of all let me introduce Tom to the Fertility Podcast. Welcome Tom, how are you?
1: I'm very well thank you. How are you?
0: I'm really good and I'm really pleased to finally speak to you because We've kind of been in touch on Twitter and I was following your progress with the other half, Nick, um, and and I'd like to just start talking about yours and Nick's story because you've had quite a bumpy journey, which has led you to where you are now. So tell me a bit about your your fertility journey to date.
1: Uh, It's been a long, long journey. We uh, were trying to conceive for about 12 years. It took us a very long time to get NHS funding for our fertility treatment. We went through all sorts of hoops, tests, jumps. We had unexplained fertility.
0: So frustrating.
1: Yeah, every test we did came back. Oh, yeah, you're fine. Um, You know, we don't know why. You're infertile. You you can't make this happen naturally.
0: How did that make you feel, though, with that such inconclusive diagnosis being given at the time? Were the pair of you able to talk it through? through and get your heads around
1: it it was very very difficult because it's really weird because you end up going into appointments kind of thinking i kind of hope there is something wrong because then we'd know what it was and then even when you come out of the 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 the, the appointment you're kind of oh thank goodness everything's okay but we're back at square one because we don't know what 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 the 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 problem is we had various things that kind of stopped us from getting the nhs funding my wife had to lose a lot of weight with her bmi uh, was too high, and she eventually resorted to having a a, a gastric bypass operation.
0: Wow. Okay. Uh, and
1: throughout this entire process, she has really put herself through it, and uh, what she's what she's been through has been incredible. Really, all the procedures she's gone through, and surgeries, and all sorts of
0: stuff. And how did, how did you feel with her taking on that decision? Obviously, the problem with the fertility side of things is, is that it's so focused on, on the female with the physical aspect of what you have to do. And so she's put this other stuff in the mix. So how did that make you feel? Horrible,
1: really, because you know i i did my sperm sample and they sent it off for analysis and it came back and it was fine and it was like okay then she went through all of these other tests like hysteroscopies and tube patency and all this kind of stuff and even though they came back fine i think she still felt that it was must be her fault which you know i obviously didn't feel that way because to me it was it was just there's just something not working between us but i think when it's unexplained both of you kind of take on that or maybe it is maybe it is me maybe there's something they've missed maybe the analysis they've just done was a one-off and happened to be a good day you kind of get all of those doubts kind of creep in and it's that can be really difficult each of you kind of struggle in your own way I think
0: so did you talk much about the doubts did you have that kind of relationship where you could without driving both of you mad you could try and get your head around it in some way
1: yeah I think we uh, we are generally pretty good at, at talking things out and um, we're quite open about stuff and we always have been so there have only been a few occasions where we haven't spoken about stuff and it's usually me that kind of bottles things up a little bit or goes a bit introspective and that would happen uh, sort of during the facility treatment mostly during like our two-week wait and stuff like that and it, and it would all kind of come to a point where we just blow up a bit and we would sort of hash it out and, and we'd always feel better afterwards. And it was one of those things that you kind of realise that sometimes you don't really want to have that conversation because you don't want to set, upset your partner, but sometimes you just kind of have to because otherwise it just builds up into something that could be detrimental or more detrimental.
0: And were you talking to anybody else, the pair of you? Did you have external support? Uh, not really, no. Did you tell your family what you were going through?
1: Yeah, yeah, family knew and like work colleagues knew... Um, I, I work in a, in a really quite kind of small close-knit company. Um, and everyone's incredibly supportive of each other. And we're all really kind of friends really. So if people are going through a tough time, they're quite happy to say why or, and if they don't want to talk about it, everyone kind of understands and is, is kind of supportive and just kind of lets them go on with it. Nick works in a much larger company, which was less considerate because they're more HR focused and have more processes involved and all that kind of stuff. But her direct boss was, he, I think he was in the loop and, and kind of understood a little bit of what we were going through or at least tried to. Uh, obviously, you know, we told our, our family and even then people think or try to be supportive think they're being supportive but I think it's very difficult for people who haven't been through infertility to kind of understand what the best support is
0: definitely they don't know quite when to ask and what to ask if they know that you're going through it people just don't know whether to to ask the question or just stay away and then it, it becomes awkward doesn't it
1: yeah very much so that's why when Nick and I started our treatment we decided to write a blog. Um, and the reason we did it wasn't necessarily kind of share our story to the wider world. It was pretty much just a way that we could keep our family and friends informed of what was going on, but without having to repeat Everything like t- 20 different times to different people and have the same conversations over and over again.
0: And what was the feedback from the family? Uh, do you
1: know, I don't know how many members of the family actually ended up reading the blog. That kind of ended up getting a, a wider audience, and it was actually strangers and other people that were going through fertility that ended up talking to us and, and giving us support. And, you know, obviously our families were there to do anything we needed them to. Yeah, I think it's still very difficult to kind of comprehend and you know i know i know my my parents would read the blog and uh, talk to us about specific things but generally we would have already spoken to them first before anything was posted
0: Right, one thing I thought from the blog post was it. I had this idea of the pair of you sitting down together and writing it, it seemed you were really together with that whole process, was it like that or were we taking it in turns or did one of you prefer to do it more than the other?
1: Um, what we would tend to do is we'd kind of talk about what we were going to post or what was of interest, you know in a specific thing because when you're going through a round for the first time everything's kind of new and Uh, exciting in a way to start off with so it's very easy to kind of say this is what the process is but when you kind of get to the second round you kind of covered all of that stuff so you tend to talk about other elements of things but we would discuss what the blog post was going to be and then one of us would kind of write their account and then The other would write their account and then we'd work a way to sort of meld the two together. And we would kind of tweak each other's a little bit just to make it all one coherent post.
0: So that must have been quite therapeutic to almost not have to tell each other what you were thinking about that particular thing, but you could read it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think for the most part, we didn't necessarily read anything the other had written that we didn't know. Sure. Uh, I th- maybe occasionally there might be like a-, a phrasing or something that was kind of more revealing, perhaps. But it might be something we'd spoken about, but the way it was, it came across written down, gave it a slightly different emphasis. I think it was a really worthwhile thing to do. And uh, the- like the feedback we got from, you know, just people all over the world who were reading it, finding it helpful... Was it enough to make us kind of continue doing it? Even when you have to write the hardest of truths, it kind of spurs you on to know that somebody out there somewhere is getting some sort of solace out of it.
0: So for people that haven't read any of your blog, do you mind telling me an example of one of the more difficult times? Because your journey hasn't got to where you intended it or hoped it would get to, has it? It
1: hasn't, it hasn't. It's kind of a very bizarre ending to our journey so There were some very tough things to kind of talk about. We had two rounds of IVF that we were entitled to. Both of them failed. And we'd kind of gone in knowing that we were going to get two rounds. So I think we kind of decided that we would have a plan B so that if anything didn't work, uh, we would have an idea of what we would want to do with our lives if we were going to be childless. And that was a pretty tough thing to, to work out and do. And after the second round failed, we had to kind of face up to the fact that we had to kind of go ahead with our plan B really um, and that was probably one of the toughest things to write about and the fact that it had all failed and we were going to be childless or thought we were and then our story kind of took a really bizarre turn about six months later so I don't know if you're up to date with what's happened with us.
0: No because the last I thought of your story was that you were going to go off traveling.
1: Right okay.
0: And then I, and then I started seeing you with your production work so bring me up to speed.
1: Yeah okay so we spent six months in a pretty dark place, Uh, certainly for me personally, we were finding it very, very tough. It kind of got to the point where every month was a sort of a reminder that we weren't ever gonna have kids for Nick. And she decided to look into having a hysterectomy, which was again, another challenging decision to make because that would mean it was completely over and we would have absolutely no chance of having a child ourselves. So we went to see a consultant and we explained everything we'd done. And Nick basically said the only procedure that no one had ever done on her was a laparoscopy to look for endometriosis. Even though it was pretty clear that she didn't have endometriosis, they'd never done the, that specific procedure. Yeah. The consultant then said, OK, well, we'll do an exploratory laparoscopy to look for endometriosis. And while I'm there, I'll do a cuterage on the womb lining and I'll give you some blood thinners uh, to take for three months afterwards. And you should try naturally and you'll get pregnant. And we kind of sat there and it was like this massive slap in the face because we'd got ourselves into this point where we were prepared for what our lives were going to be. We were really grieving and trying to come to terms with the fact that we were going to be childless. And there was this woman just basically saying, oh yeah, don't worry, I can sort it out with this, you know, this little procedure that I can just do whilst I'm doing something else and just try naturally and you'll be fine.
0: Gosh, the emotions at that point, though. I mean, uh, you, you must have been frustrated almost that that hadn't been a conversation that had happened earlier in the whole process.
1: Yeah, What when I tell this story, the most common question I get is like, why didn't they do this sooner? And it's kind of weird because when we did our second round of IVF, we asked about things like endometrial scratches and all that kind of stuff. And they said, no, there's no point. There's no evidence that they work. There's no evidence that they don't work either
0: well different clinics say different things on that that's a, it's a tricky one
1: yeah so it you know it's kind of like there were there were things that that we were kind of offered but not and yeah it's all very difficult to find the right thing to do at the right time
0: and confusing as well
1: yeah absolutely yeah so and uh, you know we we came out of that consultation and we were just like we were kind of begrudgingly like okay well we have to give it a go I mean you can't you know we've been offered this opportunity and you can't turn that down but it's never going to work but we would regret it for the rest of our lives if we didn't at least give it a try so she had the procedure and um first month we got pregnant oh my god <laughs> okay so we were in kind of a state of shock as you can imagine and tomorrow uh, we will be 39 weeks pregnant
0: that is wonderful news that is wonderful news
1: yeah it's, it's kind of um One of the first things I said to my wife afterwards was, oh, great, now we're one of those couples that goes through fertility treatment. It doesn't work. And then we stop and then we just get pregnant. And we we become that couple that everyone tells their infertile friends about. We're like, oh, God.
0: But, you know, for this little moment, you can have that, you know, just just take it. And I think you've been through. Plenty. And I didn't, expect, I didn't expect that outcome. So that's wonderful news. I'm kind of glad I hadn't read. <laughs> I hadn't read that bit.
1: Yeah, it's been a bit of a, a bizarre twist. And afterwards, I've, I've been kind of thinking about it. And when people talk to me about fertility, I'm kind of saying it's like having a massive combination lock and fertility treatment is trying to figure out what the number is to open the combination lock. And for every single couple, their lock is different. And you can go through all sorts of treatments, but if if the doctors don't find that combination, it's not going to work. And we just happened to be in the right place, the right time, the right doctor, who just happened to have an idea and figure out what our combination was.
0: So what's a really interesting outcome from you as someone with unexplained is for people to push I guess and this is part of the problem is people who are going through fertility treatment are so educated because there's so much information out there and I know because I've spoken to clinics all around the UK that sometimes clinics have to hold patients back and say hang on let's not try everything at once let's try things a piece at a time and like you've just quite beautifully explained actually with that analogy of the combination sometimes and you went in with such a negative mindset to then be given that extra thing to add to the mix and and I was going to ask whether your mindset had the wrong effect because you said afterwards you were adamant it wasn't going to work but obviously it didn't have any effect at all
1: no so this is the thing is quite often you get that old, oh, you know oh just relax and it'll happen. positive yeah we are testament to the fact that, that is not the case we were we were you know we were not happy we were kind of really sort of down depressed and anxious and you know there, there was a lot of we were just in, in a kind of a bad place really yet it still happened so yeah right. it's, it's it's it was one of the biggest shocks I think, well probably the biggest shock i've ever experienced in my life it was it was incredible
0: That is a remarkable and brilliant outcome. I'm delighted for you. So let's take a breather, take a breather there. And then now you're about to become a father and you've got this amazing crowdfunding project in place because you are wanting to make a documentary called The Easy Bit. Let's talk about that because that's what you're on to. Just, you know, why not give yourself a massive project when you're about to become a parent for the first time? Why not? It doesn't matter that you'll be sleep deprived at all.
1: the very early beginnings of the easy bit uh, started to form in my head uh, when we were doing the blog during our fertility treatment well we wrote a post and it was the first post we wrote about egg collection and the sample giving day and I wrote an account of what it was like to go into that little room and give your sample and how it was kind of different to what people perceived it to be. And the response and the comments I got from that made me realise how few men spoke about it, not just publicly, but actually to their partners as well. We we got loads of responses from women saying, oh God, I had no idea that my husband went through anything like that.
0: I actually visited the room that my husband used after the event because, as I said before, I did some clinic visits and I went back to the room. And what I didn't know was that the room was in a different building. It was like an outhouse, and he had to walk down the stairs and across a courtyard. And I said to him afterwards, "You never told me that." I think he blocked it out. He never. We never because it was always so stressful, and we never spoke about it.
1: The, the place we had our petite treatment was an old old country house. So uh, the place I had to go to was in a room above what used to be the stables and I remember after the second time I came back to find a really bewildered man standing outside the door to get back in because he'd forgotten his path and he just had no idea what to do and, he, and it was really awkward because we obviously knew exactly what we'd both just done oh god
0: you get, at least we can laugh now
1: so that was kind of when I started to think you know this is something that we need to talk about a lot more we need to get more of the male perspective of what it's like because it, you know I don't think people quite understand what, what men go through not at all I will say absolutely up front, in terms of what we go through physically it's absolutely nothing compared to what women have to go through. And, uh, you know, I would, I'm very conscious of the fact I never want to compare what men go through versus what women go through, because I think that's, a, you know, you can't really do that because it's so very different. Um, but what I think would is important is that if people had a bit more of an understanding of what men go through, There could be more support for the men, which in turn means the men themselves can support their wives or girlfriends a lot better. Um, Because I kind of think that because I wasn't getting the right support, it meant that I would get a bit more introspective and a bit more quiet and and that meant I wasn't supporting Nick in his you know, as well as I probably could have done
0: it. Yeah, completely agree. And I think anybody listening will be nodding and thinking, male or female, exactly that, because you're talking about a very similar situation that, that I went through and my husband went through. And, and I know from people, because I try to speak to guys to get their feelings on this. And I don't know whether you guys were able to see the Quiet House play. Unfortunately,
1: that was kind of on at a really bad time for us. Okay. Um. Th- th- apparently there, there were a few plays and uh, some films and some some books and stuff that came out kind of roughly when we were really trying to distance ourselves yeah. from all of this stuff. So I might actually go back and see if I can find some of that, the, those bits and pieces, because I think I'm in a, an emotional place now where I can kind of cope with looking at and reading that.
0: Well, also, the common theme is that male perspective, that feeling of it being your fault, the guilt associated and internalising it rather than actually standing up and saying how can I help my other half, how can I help in this situation rather than oh my god this is all me and I can't deal with it and it's so tricky and that's why your project with the Easy Bit documentary is so important. Now, there's a crowdfunding campaign that I'm going to put all the details on the show notes for this. And I know that you've got like a minimum amount of about 15 grand and a very specific total of just over 37 grand. So let's say we're hoping for 40 grand in an ideal scenario. How long ago is that launched? Bear in mind, we're talking uh, mid-November 2016 if you're listening to this podcast in the future
1: it launched 24 days ago
0: so october
1: yeah just the end of october yeah it's just before uh, we launched it i think the week before infertility awareness week
0: what's your total at the moment
1: at the moment we are only up to about 450 pounds
0: right so we need lots of support
1: we do need lots of support it's uh, it's slowly kind of trickling in um and it's just about getting getting it out there really and getting it in front of people but when we started it i mean we, we weren't expecting it to suddenly light up straight away but we've got a kind of an amount in our head which will allow us to do I mean, a proper feature-length documentary that so we can get out into the world, get more awareness out there for what it is is like for men to go through this. Really,
0: so we're looking at ten men talking to camera about really honestly about finding out that they needed treatment, then having to go through it, going to the clinic, the, the, a real like step by step. So it's it's also going to be for if if guys are just finding out. It's quite an insight because I think part of the problem from, well, from my husband's point of view, I had um, a very close girlfriend that had been through treatment. She talked me through it. Now, her other half didn't want to talk about it. So I couldn't tell my other half what to expect. And I think for for guys, that is often the case because women are more likely to talk. And whilst we're trying to encourage men to talk more, even if they might talk about how it made them feel, they might not want to recount each step of the process. So it's brilliant that you're going to literally lay it out for what, what what to expect.
1: Yeah, so my plan was that, I kind of figured that there were going to be two types of people that are going to watch this documentary, really. there were going to be the people that are have been or going through it. So they will have an idea of what is what is happening. But then there will be other people that are, like you say, that aren't aware of what fertility treatment entails. So I wanted to make something that not only explained the male perspective of what it was like, but actually explains the process that you go through. Um, and, I, and we're going to make sure we kind of cover lots of different stories so it'll, there'll be unexplained uh, fertility uh, there'll be male factor um there'll be success stories and people who may not have been so successful or people who are still in treatment one thing we're really hoping to do is include some people that have were in the place that nick and i were in who have decided to stop i think that's a really big decision to make and some couples make it too late perhaps or some couples don't make it at all so i you know there's i, I want to make sure that i cover a lot of bases and something that uh, was really interesting is an interesting twitter exchange i had when somebody saw that i was making a documentary about this and they said oh great here's another documentary or show about fertility where everyone's going to get their happy ending and I kind of thought, well, you know what? No, that's not going to be the case with this one. I wanted it to be as representative as we can be.
0: Well, that actually moves us on quite nicely to the Hidden Faces campaign that you guys, from your production company Upbeat Productions, have been involved with with Fertility Network UK because um, anybody who saw any of the uh, of the videos, and again, I'll put links in the show notes, they were for National Fertility Awareness Week, which in the UK has just, just happened. We're, we're mid-November. And um, there was a real diversity of people that were filmed and, and, and I really like that I think it's really important like you say yes we want to see the positive stories and if you've been through fertility treatment it's wonderful to hear but there are so many people and Fertility Network as you know um, and I'm going to be looking at more um, in the new year have done a big study on the impact of infertility and you know, you've just Described how you and Nick were were almost at the point of accepting that you were going to have a, a life childless, and there's amazing work done with people and support available, which is again something I'm going to be covering in this podcast. The campaign that you've done with Fertility Network UK, just talk me through a bit about that. Fertility Network
1: were looking for like a, a partner to do some videos, and uh, someone who had, had kind of agreed to take part knew that I did video work and had seen some of the videos we have done on our blog, and also knew that I worked for a video production company. And I was planning this documentary, and they were just like, "Is there any way you could get involved or help out?" So I took it to my boss, and we kind of sat down and worked out what we could do in terms of our free, like, free time at work, and whether we could fit it in around everything else we were doing. Um, so we ended up creating, I think it was between eleven and twelve videos, um, of. Uh, just people's stories, really. They came to the studio that we have in London and uh, we got them to sit down and just talk to camera, basically. We had, we, we kind of had some idea of what, what we wanted to talk to them about and what areas that we wanted them to discuss. And um, it, was, it was interesting because uh, we decided to use the technique of people talking directly into a camera, which seems quite daunting at first. Um, but actually, when people sit there, I think because they're not making eye contact with somebody else, they can actually just let it all out. And we found that people would just, they would, once they started, they would just start giving this, like, you know, really uh, emotional and raw accounts of uh of their lives and their 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 fertility treatments and um it was it was pretty phenomenal to be in that room watching people talk so wonderfully about what they've been through
0: well especially with your own connection to it i imagine you personally found it quite emotional
1: yeah there were certainly people i mean it, it was funny actually i think every single person said something that i related to directly that we had all sorts of people take part. There was a, a lady called Charlotte who had a syndrome, which uh, for the life of me, I can't remember how to pronounce the, the name of the syndrome, but it meant she was born without a uterus. Um,
0: I don't know how to say and, that either. It's a, yeah, I'll, I'll, put yeah. A link, I'll put a link in the show notes.
1: Yeah, and and even her condition was so, so different to anything that like we had experienced. Just her talking about some of the... the, the Uh, treatment she had and some of the conversations she'd had with doctors and the attitude that they had towards her and being uh, having fertility treatment just you know it resonated with me completely Um, even though It was such a different experience.
0: I think one thing that is so apparent from this project and the project that you're doing with the easy bit for anybody who's having a struggle on their route to parenthood is that you're not alone, that no matter how bizarre what it is you've been through is, there's quite possibly somebody else. And that's why, you know, with the work that you're doing and I hope with the work that I'm doing, giving this a voice and giving it a, a presence that it can be sitting online and people can find it, Hopefully helps. And I think it's brilliant because it's such an unknown world. I mean, like I have said a couple of times now, the clinics that I've visited and I've spoken to numerous consultants at clinics, they're all constantly saying it's ever-changing. You know, the science is remarkable, it does amazing things, but understanding what goes on in individuals' bodies is so different every time.
1: Like I say, it's it's back to the whole combination lock thing again. It's so difficult to know you have two people who have their own set of variables and when you put them together those variables get even bigger and you might find that actually if you took four people and mix match the couples you would have even more different sets of variables so you know it's it's one of the things that trying to keep up with it all must be ridiculously difficult.
0: And that's the challenge. That's the challenge that luckily we don't have the clinics have. And hopefully we can keep asking the questions. Tom, look, it's been brilliant talking to you. And we will speak again because you're hoping to start filming early next year with the project hopefully completed by the end of summer 2017. Well, your upcoming new arrival will be approaching its first birthday by that time.
1: Yes, yeah, by the time we're finishing, hopefully.
0: What a rap party that would be!
1: Yeah, there is actually. There's one thing I'd, I'd also quite like to do while I've while I've got your ear. If that's okay. Yep. In terms of the people we've got taking part in Easy Bit, we've got a group of guys already who are going to take part, uh, but we're still missing a couple of people, and uh, I wondered if you'd mind if I could put a call out to see if there's anyone out there that would, would that would take part. Go
0: for uh, it. So we're looking for some men.
1: Yeah, but specifically, we're looking for men who uh, have decided to, who have been through fertility treatment and decided to stop trying. Um, So far, uh, we've got a nice mix of outcomes and sort of different uh, treatments and things like that. But we want to make sure that we get it as balanced as possible. So, if there's anyone out there who has been through physical treatment but unfortunately hasn't been successful, but is still willing to talk about it, I would love them to get in touch. And yeah, they can do that via Twitter uh, at the Easy Bit Doc.
0: All right. Well, again, I'll put all your details on the show notes. But there's Tom's Twitter handle, and well, best of luck. Thank you. I will keep in touch and i just have everything crossed for the crowdfunding campaign and just for the the smooth transition into parenthood and everything that you've got coming up it's a really exciting time for you and and good on you i just think for for just going maybe for that last appointment who have, who'd have thought
1: i know i know and we could have easily not done that and yeah it, it just it when you start getting into the what ifs it just you know your mind gets blown as to the you know the, the decisions you make or don't make
0: tom thank you it's been great chatting
1: right, thank you okay.
0: thank you bye so there you have it tom webb sharing him and his partner nick's just crazy journey 12 years and they were about to give up and one last consultation resulted in them, I assume, now becoming parents because I spoke to Tom a couple of weeks ago. So, to find out exactly what Tom was talking about, do visit the show notes, which are at fertilitypodcast.com forward slash easy bit. I'm going to put Tom's details there again and also some links to the Hidden Faces campaign videos that he's talked about. And um, again, just a reminder that Tom is looking for men who are willing to talk about having made the decision to stop trying to start a family so if that's you and um, you'd be happy to be a part of the Easy Bit documentary you can email Tom uh, via his Twitter handle at the Easy Bit doc which he mentioned or you can drop me a message natalie at thefertilitypodcast.com and of course I will pass it on I really hope this has been of interest I hope it's given you lots to think about from maybe going to one more visit to the clinic that, that you've been with if you've if you've had a journey of unexplained infertility and you haven't got the, the result that you'd hoped for or also accepting that it's okay to say you want to stop and like tom said they were they, they were talking about a plan b and and i think that's a really valid piece of advice to have a, something else to focus on in my next episode i'm going to be talking to kelly De silva who's going to share her story of involuntary childlessness and also jody day who is the founder of gateway women which is a global friendship and support network for childless women so uh, do make sure you've signed up at the fertilitypodcast.com. You can also do it in iTunes and Stitcher and Spreaker. Lots of ways you can listen to your podcast or just keep coming back to this website. Your support is so vital and also your feedback. So feel free to leave me any comments and join the email list too. So I can keep you up to date with what's going on until the next time.